0: We're continuing our talk about relationships this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I came this morning, uh, <clears throat> John said, we've got a new speaker. And uh, I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll just go on home then."
1: <laughs> okay.
0: There's only one relationship problem, and that problem is fear. And I'm still getting an echo. Is there any way we can turn it down even a little bit further? Is that down a little bit? Oh, great. Super. Fear, of course, is the only problem of any sort that we have. But it might be helpful to see how it enters into the realm of relationships. Because it's so obvious the chaos that it causes there. If we could just see that we don't want to make anyone scared of us. If we could just see that one thing. We don't want someone to be anxious. We don't want someone to feel hesitant before they speak to us. If we could just see we don't want people to be scared of us we would have no relationship problems. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't get screamed at every once in a while. But we would see that that too was fear. And fear is easy to forgive. It's when we think someone is being deliberately perverse that we have trouble forgiving them. But if you'll think for just a moment, who would attack unless they were afraid of something? And so it is possible that someone could misunderstand you and your intentions and attack you. But so much of fear is something that we ourselves participate in and it is so easily removed. It's removed like all other things and that is by an increased degree of the control of our mind. Now this is a a, a, sort of a scary phrase, mind control. I'm not sure that's, that we've ever used that here. A Course in Miracles talks about that. Disciplining of the mind is another way of saying it. But that's scary, too. It sounds like some sort of struggle. sounds as if uh, our mind is... Uh, some sort of unbroken puppy, house bu- you know, it's not housebroken or something, and we've got to uh, beat it with a newspaper. But the way that the mind is controlled or disciplined is simply that we turn to our true mind. We turn away from an imaginary mind which chatters all day long with imaginary thoughts and grievances, pettinesses. We turn away from that to another mind that is so different that it cannot be compared because this mind in the beginning seems like merely the absence of the old mind. And the words stillness and quietness and peace in the beginning merely seem to be the absence of all the clatter of this chaotic, quite insane chatter, this merry-go-round in our mind. The mistake that most people make is they try to stop their ego mind. And it is the ego that tries to stop the ego mind. So all you have is the ego fighting the ego. Stillness is a thing stillness is a substance into which you enter it doesn't feel that way in the beginning in the beginning it's just a matter of you like silence you say let there be some silence today let there be at least a moment or two in this day in which i am quiet i am completely quiet let me know quietness at some point today And so you watch your thought, and the mind quietens as if by magic. You turn your gaze upon it, and it becomes still. And this seems quite empty in the beginning. Merely the absence of something. Something that you thought was your friend. Like some talk show that you have on the background while you do the ironing or the dishes or something. It seemed to give you a sense of companionship this chattering of your mind. But as you turn your gaze upon it, it quells, it stills, it softens, it relaxes. And it's like turning the the volume down on the soap opera. Yet you can still hear it if you wish to. But now you're interested in another sound, another presence the presence of stillness and quietness which is love does not seem that way in the beginning it is oneness in stillness and quietness you will recognize yourself and those around you and so the ultimate answer to all fear is the practicing of stillness, which is the practicing of the presence of God. In order for this to happen, we must see that we have no beliefs. Do you see what's happened to religion in this world? It's become synonymous with beliefs. And even those who have nothing to do with religion still have the religion of beliefs. They think their beliefs are important. A Course in Miracles says, Whatever you understand is not of God. Whatever you understand is not of God. And A Course in Miracles also says, Forget this course. (laughs) So there is nothing sacred about this particular teaching aid, which we speak of at this church. It is good to have a uh, a, a teaching aid. It's, It's good to have a teaching. And A Course in Miracles is a very thorough and complete teaching. It's a very, very good teaching. And so we recommend it here. But remember, please, that A Course in Miracles is a one-year course. It says that now that you've finished this one-year course, your need for formal learning is over. Now, you may wonder why I keep doing it. That's because I keep failing the course, you see. (laughs) And I have to, you know, they set me back a grade and I have to keep doing it over. Of course, it's all right to continue studying the books. It doesn't say you're not supposed to. But a course in miracles, like any teaching of truth, is merely the use of beliefs to the purpose of giving up beliefs. So yes, you can use words and you can remind yourself of the truth. This is a wonderful thing to do, in fact. Stop frequently during the day and remind yourself of the truth. But notice that something enters when you do that. Feel this something enter. I'm I'm not talking about some sort of weird psychic experience here. Just notice that your self steps into your mind a little bit when you remind yourself of the truth. So it isn't the words that are the truth. The words are irrelevant. It is this stepping in of stillness, this presence, this something that is now rather than in the future that you feel when you pause and remember the truth. And how difficult we make relationships because we think opinions have any meaning at all. Does the truth of God need our defense? Do we have to stand up for the truth of God? There are no words that contain more truth than other words. There are words that can be used by a particular individual to open his heart up to stillness. Those same words would irritate another person it doesn't matter what people say to rid ourselves of all beliefs and to be the presence of god is to experience no distress in our relationships even if we're being screamed at we've talked about the ego as uh, or the ego mind We've likened that here to a stream with fish. And the stream is ever flowing in our mind. The fish go by. All that's quite innocent and none of it will hurt you. Unless you reach down and grab a fish. If you own a thought. and Whenever you're depressed or anxious or upset. Or there's this feeling of failure. This feeling of doom about 11 o'clock in the morning or something there's this sort of growing sense of something if you will if you will stop and look at the contents of your mind you will see that you have owned an ego thought you've accepted something and said yes that's the way it is it may be uh, that you didn't get enough sleep last night and so you say, and so your ego says to you, you are a person who did not get enough sleep. And you accept this almost without even noticing it. You accept this. And now there's this sense of today is going to be torture. You know, I'm going to go through the day. And I'm going to be tired. And there's nothing I can do about it because you look through the day and you see no time when you can get a nap or anything like that, you see. And so there's this sort of sense of... Uh, of. Uh, Giving in and uh, inevitability. Look carefully at the ego fault that you have owned, that you have accepted as truth, and just, at, just by looking at it, it will begin to dissolve. As many of you know, uh, Gail and I went to uh, the island of Eleuthera uh, when the rest of you were freezing to death uh, a month or so ago. An interesting thing happened to me on that island, and that is, without realizing it, I didn't realize this until just a couple of weeks ago, so it was actually it actually took me, what, a month and a half or something like that before I recognized what had happened on the island of Eluta, I had become scared of food. I know this. Uh, <laughs> this is not a. This is not a fear that many. Uh, uh, officer, uh, officer comes in. Uh, it was just standing there at the end of my bed. This this giant pimento. You know, I know it seems silly that someone would be uh, scared of fru- uh, food, You know. Española motorist terrorized by Bell Pepper.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but nevertheless, this is what happened to me. And here's, here's how it happened. We were on this island without a scale. City. Can you imagine being without a scale? All
1: right.
0: And there was fabulous food. Uh, they had a uh, chef with a French accent, so it had to be good, right? (laughs) And we seemed to be just partaking of everything. And I, although my clothes still fit just fine, I just assumed that I was just blossoming and putting on just inordinate amounts of weight. Uh, And my fear grew. Now, what happened was when I got back home, I got on the scale and it turned out that I had only gained I think a pound and a half two pounds or something like that. I thought I'd gained forty <laughs> uh, and so I thought, oh well that's that it wasn't because after a while, to uh sort of sustain my weight, what I do the thing that I find that's simplest for me i'm not recommending this' just I'm just, t- just going to set this little story up for you um uh, is that I fast a day. So if I go over a certain mark on the scale, I just fast for a day, and I find that so much simpler than counting calories every day. Well, what was happening was, I was fasting every two or three days, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. In two or three days, I would have picked up two or three pounds, and then I'd have to fast, and and the periods of fast were getting closer and closer together. So I sat down to look at what was happening. This is the simple way to do it, to sit quietly and look. Nothing more than that is needed. What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch, said Jesus. That's all that's really necessary. If you you will look closely and peacefully enough at anything, you will see your way out, or it will dissolve of itself. And I realized I had gotten scared of food. And whatever I was doing was not sufficient. I had to do something else. And this is another device that we've mentioned here. And that is to do something that is symbolic. You see, it doesn't make any difference what you do. This is why there is no right medicine. There is no right therapist. There is no right mental imagery. There's no right mantra. There's no right affirmation. It's a symbol. You simply pick the symbol that is most symbolic to you. But it's very important to do that. It's very important to tell yourself that this is important in some overt way. And if you will do something behaviorally to show yourself that this is important, then there is this very subtle shift that takes place within you. If you will notice, all the great healers heal because they create an atmosphere in which certain individuals can be healed just look at let's look look at them now it may not be an atmosphere in which you could be healed but it may be an atmosphere in which for example let's say uh, certain passages are quoted from the bible and this is very meaningful to certain people I had a friend who was healed by being hit over the head with a Bible in front of a congregation. Just bam, like that.
1: <laughs>
0: Threw down his crutches and ran. <laughs> True story.
1: <laughs>
0: but all the healers understand this simple fact, and that is, you create an atmosphere in which a change of belief can take place, because the person heals themselves. And so you simply allow them to do that. And so the great physicians, because it would seem that that, that uh, medicine is a science, and, and you either know the rules or you don't, and so all, all these people are just car mechanics that just pass out certain knowledge, right? It doesn't matter which one you go to. If he knows the right rule, then you're fixed up. Not true, is it? You know this is not true. You can go to one physician who fixes you up all the time and you go to another one who never seems to do any good. What's going on there? One of them creates an atmosphere in which you can change your mind. But they give you something to do. Uh, even in, I was in, even in the James Harriet books, he mentions doing this even with animals. So here you have this relationship between a farmer and his pig and he gives the former something to do, even though he knows that the, nothing needs to be done. He gives it something to do, and this facilitates healing. This is not dishonesty. This is a recognition of how the ego mind works. It thinks behavior is important. You think behavior is important. You think your behavior is important. You think the way you're behaving indicates how you believe. If you are not behaving as if the peace of God is the most important thing in your life, then you're not going to accept the peace of God into your heart. And so give yourself the necessary symbols to quieten the mind. Do the overt things that show you that this is important. Even though you know the trick that's going on here, go ahead and do it because you're not at the point in which you can, with just one simple thought, pass by a difficulty. Time will come in which you can do that. But none of us are at that point yet. Unless someone snuck in here that I didn't notice.
1: <laughs>
0: so here's what I had to do to eliminate fear. I'm just going to give this as an example. I had to look at the food as I prepared it. Watch it very carefully. Nothing else is going on. I'm preparing the food now and I watch myself prepare it. And I bless the food as I prepare it. This is in order to get rid of the fear. This is not something I did before. And after the fear is gone, I will not do this in the future. This is just something that I had to do to clean my mind out of the fear I had gathered. I had to do something symbolic. And the the thing that is... Very helpful, of course, is if your symbolism can bring your mind into the present. Then you've got a a double weapon, so to speak. So I'd watch the food and I'd say, this is just a little banana. Just slicing up a little banana. And I'd picture the little banana tree where it grew and somebody picking it off and be shipped on the boat across, you know, the oceans and so forth. And the big bad businessman fumigating the uh, bananas and so forth. <laughs> but nature's banana peel protects it, you see, and so forth. And um, that's all it is, do you see? These are just cornflakes.
1: <laughs>
0: and so forth. All right, I had to do that now. I had to look at the bowl and everything. I'd pick the bowl up, put it on the table, and then I'd watch my spoon. Go into it, you see. And I would watch it, and I'd watch the size, and then I would listen to myself chewing. It was very cute. (laughs) And so forth. I had to become extremely conscious. When When you are conscious, you cut yourself off from the past and the future where the ego dwells, where your problem dwells. You have no problem this instant. Notice that. It's always about to happen. (laughs) So let's talk about some common fears with that as a sort of a background. The background being that the primary way to eliminate fear is to still the mind and to do something symbolic in order to do this. That's why meditating. Is so effective. It is a symbol. It doesn't matter how long you meditate, but if you were to sit down and meditate for 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe even a half hour every day, this would be a powerful symbol. This would show you that you meant this. And the effects you would fake would come from the meditation. It isn't the meditation. It's that you've gotten serious about this. Spiritual progress and awakening is not some trinket that you're playing with. Some new uh, video game or something. Or the latest wristwatch. It isn't just one more thing that you've put into your life. It is it. It is your way. It is your heart. It is your soul. It is your purpose. And you must show yourself that this is true. This is why pausing during the day. Do you see that if you made the peace of God the most important thing? Of course you would pause. You would know you're beginning to get caught up in something silly. But nevertheless, you're getting caught up in it. You would know you're getting anxious or depressed or tired or something is suddenly uh, there's this cloud over everything suddenly. You would see that coming. Of course you would stop it's important to you and so you would stop and remind yourself of the truth so this is the this is the ultimate answer god is the answer god is one there is only one answer and there's only one reality there is nothing to thank and there's nothing to do and there are no rules you either are turning to the one answer Or you're still muddling in the problem. Don't muddle. Here's some common fears. All right, so the one fear that we're separate from God, that we're cut off, that we're not doing it right, that we're going to end up dead like everybody else. That it was all for nothing. It's much too sharp. They didn't give us the right features. Whatever the thing is. This one fear that we're separate from goodness and separate from love and separate from gentleness and separate from our home. How did we lose our way? We're not at home anymore. This we know for sure. Somehow we're wandering out here and we are lost. And no one quite understands us. How did this happen? That's the one fear. And the one answer is, you are asleep in my arms. My beloved child, I love you. And I will awaken you. Leave it to me. Please leave it to me. So here are some ways that this one fear takes form in relationships. You have something better to do this is a this is a number one film uh, fear that there's that you have something better to do than to take care of your senile grandmother who's in the back room you have nothing better to do than to take care of your elderly parents who are now dependent on you or your aunt who the rest of the family has abandoned And you've taken your your old aunt in. And she can't even complete a thought anymore. Or she has to use a bedpan or something. You have nothing better to do than wash the dishes or mow the lawn. You have nothing better to do than take care of your child. Yes, you're single and you're beautiful and... The whole world is out there, and you've got to stay home. You've got nothing better to do than take care of this child. Now, the ego hears statements like that and says, Well, I sh- you should never, under any circumstance, put an elderly person in an institution or a home. Well, that's nonsense, of course. That isn't true at all. You look at what's the most peaceful thing to do, what's the most loving and gentle thing to do. Obviously, it's more loving for some people to be in a home than it is to be in a household where they're not loved. Or where there's anxiety surrounding them all the time, or guilt. And of course it's better to get a babysitter than to uh, stay home and be irritated. Of course your child picks this up. But if you saw that you had nothing better to do, then you would be at peace either at getting the babysitter or at not getting the babysitter and staying home. You have... Nothing better to do than whatever it is you're doing. Do not be afraid that you're missing out on life. Do not be afraid that you're growing old. Do not be afraid that it's passing you by. It's the same old, same old. (laughs) Nothing's passing you by. Have you noticed um, how a cat that wants attention will keep after you? Now, you've got better things to do than to pet that cat. Besides, the cat raises its hindquarters when you pet it. There's a tinge of immorality about this whole thing. (laughs) Have you also noticed that if you just take five minutes to pet the cat, it goes away, sleeps comfortably on the chair? That's true of your spouse. (laughs) i've got to get my sleep i've got to watch dallas can't talk to you and so there is this sort of argument that goes on all through dallas and you don't get to watch any of it. If you took, if you took ten minutes and realized that you don't have anything better to do than to talk to your spouse, you'd get to at least watch. How long was the program? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, you do the arithmetic. You can see I have a person who doesn't watch Dallas. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, Now let's take another situation which I'm from Dallas. I don't have to watch you <laughs> whatever they're saying it's all true. I can tell you <laughs> another way that fear enters is have you ever sat have you ever stood there and talked to someone and they're gossiping gossiping and you feel antsy you feel antsy or you're there at the the table and the gossip starts and you feel antsy now what do you do if you're like me so many times what you've done is you've just sort of gritted your teeth and remained antsy you just sort of urquins and so forth you don't know what to do you don't know if you're supposed <laughs> to agree with the gossip uh, you don't know what you're supposed to do so you just remain antsy have you ever thought of asking for help <gasps> Asking for help. You see, the ego limits our options so severely that the problem cannot be solved. If you'll just allow yourself any option and the peace to choose it, any problem can be solved. It won't necessarily be solved the way your ego likes it, but it's be solved to the degree that you can walk past it and not think about it anymore. You do not have to grin and bear it. You do not have to take any situation. You do not have to find yourself in a social context or with a particular friend and have to go through some sort of torture. That is never necessary. You are limiting your options when you do that. Turn and ask for help. Still your mind. Remind yourself of the truth. Do something you are not doing. Break with the situation for a moment. Go into the restroom. You can do something short of making the person feel bad because they're gossiping or calling them on it or glancing at your watch or saying, oh, I think they're really a nice person. That's not what they want to hear. You can do something short of causing a rift Of bringing in tension. Another way that fear enters in. Fear of offending. How many little white lies we tell in relationships. Out of fear of offending. Someone invites us to a particular event. And we tell a little white lie. Because we are afraid of offending. The only thing that will offend another person is the fear of offending. Notice that there are some people in your life who always tell you exactly what they feel and they'll say, no, I can't go or I haven't got time to talk to you. Can I call you back? You would never say that, perhaps. You would sit there and let the thing boil over on the stove ...and be thinking about the clean-up job you're going to have to do... ...while pretending to listen on the phone. Only the fear of offending offends. Now that doesn't mean that you won't get screamed at sometimes... ...if you do say something... ...in an honest manner. But just notice that honesty is simpler. Telling the truth is simpler. Not cheating is simpler... That's why it works. Simplicity is the same thing as stillness. The more simplicity you have in your life, the more stillness you have in your life. And the more stillness you have in your life, the more God you have in your life. And the more God you have in your life, the more you have yourself. Your identity. So it's simply... Simpler to tell the truth. Another fear. Bragging is a fear. Fear of someone bragging when we're around them. Or we brag. We bring up things. We bring up things we're excited about. We bring up little triumphs. Or we talk about purchases that we've made. Or places that we've been. They're all forms of bragging. Bragging is a fear. Have you noticed that you never brag around anyone that you feel completely secure with? Have you noticed that? If you feel completely secure around this person, even if it's because you feel superior to them, but if you feel completely secure, you will not brag Bragging comes from fear, and that's why we can forgive it when someone else does it. They're just scared. Now, the reason that we react to bragging the same way we react to gossip, which is through tension oftentimes and not knowing what to do, is that fear is offensive, just as we said about uh, the little white lie. It's the cowering dog syndrome. If you see a dog cowering, you don't like it because the dog is making a statement about you. You're here walking along, and suddenly the dog goes like this, you see, backs into the corner and breathes, and his eyes get real wide. And you say, by God, I'm not that kind of person. Wham, you kick it. <laughs> You say, that's what we do in Texas, by God, we just kick them. No, we don't do that. <laughs> they do that on Dallas, it's not true. <laughs> but if you notice that if someone's scared of you, that disoffends you because it's a statement about you. When you brag, you are giving that same message. You're saying, I'm afraid of you, I must build myself up quickly. I must tell you something exciting about me. I'm afraid you think I'm boring. I'm afraid you don't think I'm wealthy enough. I'm afraid that uh, the wonderful things aren't happening to me in my life. I've got to tell you about them. The other person doesn't like that because this comes from fear. You are afraid of them or you wouldn't be doing that. And they are afraid of you if they brag. And can you condemn anyone for being scared? No, of course not. You just do whatever you can and you may not be able to do it successfully at the moment, but you do whatever you can to put them at ease. And to make them realize that they need not separate themselves from you because you're gentle and you don't condemn them. Whatever anyone says to you They are asking you one question, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the relationship, no matter what the time of day. If someone speaks to you, they are asking you a single question, am I innocent? That's what their heart is asking. And the response of your heart is, yes, you are innocent. And so continue to brag to your heart's content. Continue to gossip to your heart's content. Turn down my party with something that I know is a lie. You're just scared. And you are innocent. I do not question your fear. I do not ask if your fear is rational any more than you would of the dog. Does it matter why the dog cowers? Of course it's not rational. But you forgive it. You realize it had some experience or something. Seeking approval is fear. This is a mistake that most of us make with our parents. If our parents have died, we continue to do it in fantasy. Most parents do not give approval to their children, and it is most likely that that happened to you you were not approved of when you were a child. As a matter of fact, what happens in most relationships as the child gets older is there is an air of disapproval that develops. So that even in quite innocent times in which the adult really would like to play with the child, it doesn't because it thinks that its sense of disapproval will keep the lid on the child. It won't misbehave, it won't act out if it keeps up this this general tone in its voice of disapproval, this certain sternness, or no-nonsense kind of something or another that goes on. We really do think we can control a child just as we think we can control ourselves through forms of attack, disapproval, evoking remorse, making anxious and scared. There is no reward in Fear. there is no reward in remorse it doesn't go on giving a gift this is, why it does, this is why it does not work but most parents are afraid of their children they're going to do something to embarrass them they're going to hurt the living room chair dent the coffee table or they're going to uh, use up their time or they're going to interfere with the TV program or they're going to interrupt the conversation on the phone Are they going to have to do something and they have something better to do And they see this coming. Oh, here it comes. And so out comes a disapproval. That happened to you as a child. You were disapproved of. No matter what you did, it wasn't quite right. If there was some success that set you above everyone else, there was a moment there in which everything seemed to be okay. But it evaporated so quickly. That wasn't your parents' fault. That's the way of the world. And today, you still seek your parents' approval. And you still are a little stern and a little disapproving of your own children. And that's why it's so hard for us to have our parents live with us. Or to have our children visit us at Christmas. There's all this memory of disapproval. How do you cut through that? exactly the same way. No memory, no childhood experience can touch you if your mind is still. There are a lot of other shortcuts, but stillness is the ultimate shortcut. Being quiet, being gentle, bringing your thought back to the present over and over again, allowing your heart to fill with love and feeling your oneness with this other per- person. Your oneness with the other person is a present fact. It's like an entity that stands in the room, unnoticed, a ghost perhaps. Your oneness with this other person is there. It is real, it is substantive. Feel your oneness with this other person. That is stillness. And anger and irritation, of course, are also forms of fear. like to go through just a few things to do specific things to do to brush away the fear from your relationships just a few little general rules that might be helpful these are just the same things said in a different way have no goals have no goals for example don't recommend this church <laughs> You see what's happened? To not recommend this church is to have no belief. And you want to have no belief. To have no belief is to have no ego. I'm not meaning, I don't mean have no faith, I mean have no belief. And you will be happier if you don't recommend this church. Now, if someone comes to you and uh, and asks you, is there some place I can go? Is there something I can do? My life isn't running right. I'm, I'm lost. I'm something. If there's some sort of reaching out with their heart, and you know that they're asking, then you can say, well, I go to the dispensable church. Uh, you know, that's where Santa Fe's insane quotient goes, and you might want to do that, uh, you see, but to try to bring someone in here, to, to try to hook them into it, will make you unhappy, because most people, you cannot bring someone to the truth before they're ready, don't spend time trying to bring people who are not ready to any statement of truth, so do not recommend A Course in Miracles, do not recommend a particular line of thought. Do not recommend a particular healer. You will be so much happier if you do not have a goal. This is why infatuation is so uh, painful. Is that people have goals. Instead of enjoying the relationship, they're thinking about, oh, I wonder if we're going to get married or I wonder if I'm going to see this person. I'm not seeing this person enough or we don't talk about this enough or I never call them. Uh, I mean, they never call me. I've always got to call them. And so... We're one jump ahead, you see. If you will act from the present, then you will do what you are doing and you will not be thinking about what you're doing next. One of the things that I discovered when I was trying to brush away the fear from the food was that I was thinking about the next bite. You see, here, the spoon came up. I know this is very interesting to you now. (laughs) (coughs) Here come the cornflakes and the banana. All right. But what am I doing? I I'm not enjoying it as I munch like a little beaver, but my spoon is already going down and my attention is on it going down and getting the next bite. It's it's waiting for the way to be cleared. It's like some plane circling the field.
1: <laughs>
0: and if I were if I was eating my, my dinner and I was and I was eating the green beans, and I had plenty of green beans, I was noticing that the potatoes were about gone, (laughs) And and my mind was, and I've got to make a trip to the uh, kitchen quickly and get the potatoes filled up, you see. Now, this is what we do. We, We never think about what we're doing now. We're always thinking about the next thing is to come. Notice this. If you want to know how to eliminate a sense of rush in your life, Become conscious of this little dynamic of the ego. Your attention is always on the next thing, not on the thing that's at hand. This is why you feel a sense of rush. It is absolutely impossible to feel a sense of rush if your mind is on what you're doing. That doesn't mean that you don't do it quickly, because sometimes you need to do something quickly. But you can. Have you noticed the great runners? The great runners are not in a rush. You have a sense of no rush. Even the sprinters and the milers. Have you noticed that? They're in no rush. It's a dance. And each step is, is almost like it's orchestrated. That's the way you want to go through your life. You see? That's bringing in the present to your life. Don't attack even a third party. Of course you don't attack the person that you're with or criticize them or contradict them. Why would you contradict them? The truth has nothing to do with beliefs. Whatever you understand is not of God. So why would you contradict anybody? Words have nothing to do with it. What is there to contradict? Do you know what these words mean to them? Of course not. But if you attack even a third party, someone who's not there, then you make yourself fearful to this individual. This is why you do not want to initiate the gossip, is because you make yourself dangerous to this individual. They know you're capable of doing the same thing to them as soon as you're out, they're out of earshot. Don't attack anything. And people won't be afraid of you. Have you been to stores? I remember when Gail and I lived in Berkeley, there were there were petitions and all kinds of angry statements uh, all over the walls and everything. You'd go into the uh, local head shop or the grocery store or whatever the thing is, and there'd be all this stuff. And it's very interesting that the people in a place like that, don't they don't speak to each other oftentimes. There's a sort of coldness and... Uh, uh, brushing you out of the way so they can get to the beats, you see. They, they, these, their beats, and so forth. They don't say that, but there's a that sort of air about it. But there's an, there's a thing. Uh, there's sort of an, uh, an aura of attack. You see, we cannot isolate attack. It cannot be confined. You cannot think an attack thought without this bubbling over into the, the conversation. Not necessarily that you will say it in words, but it will be there. You cannot think an attack scene where you were attacked or you attack someone else or someone needs deserves to be attacked without your child feeling anxious and afraid. You cannot confine an attack. Do not be distracted when you're with another person. To be distracted makes the other person scared of you. What you are saying when you are distracted is that you are not as important as what I am thinking about. And what you're thinking about, everybody knows, is nonsense. (laughs) So can you imagine how unimportant this person is? Whatever you think about is not worth thinking about. It's total nonsense. And yet you're saying this person, but what's that you say? (laughs) That thought was so much more interesting than you are. (laughs) Let the words of the conversation come to you in peace. Let your decision as to whether or not you go to the party come in peace. Let their words come to you in peace. Create within you this lake of peace, this well of peace, this place of peace. See it there. It is there. It is substantive. It is a fact. You have a well, a river, an ocean, an infinity of peace in your heart. From that come your words. And into that enter the words of another person, the expression of another person, the facial characteristics, the way they dress, the kind of job that they have, their lifestyle. Let their lifestyle enter your well of peace in your heart. Declare it innocent. Be a healer. Proceed from peace. Carry the peace with you. And let all things come and go from the peace. Now, the last thing that I want to mention is something that we've talked about here before. It's a little device. One of the things that I didn't tell you that I did with my food was that I surrounded each little Cheerio in light. Each little raisin, the spoon, my little tummy, and so forth, in light. Why do I mention this very simple imagery of surrounding in light? Because there is nothing to change out there in the world except your dark images of it. There are many things in the world that you are not afraid of and that you have, in a sense, forgiven. There are some other places where there are some very dark images attached. It is only the images that you need to heal. Things go so much more smoothly when there are no dark images. When there are dark images, you operate from the dark images. Now the words and the actions in your relationship do not come from this place of peace, they come from the dark image, the scary image that has not been looked at. And to take time to surround a particular person in light, to take time to surround a particular upcoming situation in light, to take time to surround a particular person's childhood in light or behavior or what they did to someone else, To surround the someone else in light and them in light creates a place of light in your mind. All you are dealing with is your mind. That's why you wish to still your mind and bring peace to your mind. It is your mind that will awaken from this dream and you will find that you have gone nowhere. You do not go off someplace. That's why the people who have laid aside their egos are here to help you. They didn't go anyplace. And so you lay this aside by bringing light to a place where there is darkness. And once you have begun to do that, that very simple imagery, every time you see a dark image about anything, you take the time. You give yourself the symbol of pausing And surrounding with light. And filling with light. Very simple. After you have done that. Then practice this second step. Take the light. And extend it. Now you are not just surrounding with peace. To heal an image in your mind. But you are taking the substance of peace. And you are literally giving this gift to another person. This is healing. Healing is one step beyond just surrounding in light, although healing can take place when you surround in light. And it takes place much more often than people realize. But the next step is, you know your peace, you have your peace, you feel feel, feel your peace, and now you take your peace with your mind, which bears it, and you give it to the other person. You extend it. This takes God out of your mind so it's not located just in your heart and you begin to fill the world with it. This is how the world ceases to be a dangerous place. Is that you extend your peace before you and you give it as a gift to others. So let me summarize this very general statement that we've made this morning about relationships. Whatever the problem you're having in any relationship, it's caused by fear. Eliminate the fear and the problem will not disturb you. Either the form of the problem will change or it will remain the same and you won't care anymore. Not, not care in some depressing matter-of-fact way, but not care in the sense that you won't dwell on. So thoughts are like nutrients. No hatred, no grievance, no upset, no jealousy, no anger can take root in your mind if it is not fed by your thoughts. Your thoughts give the ego's suggestions roots. That's how, a, uh, that's how something takes place and, and takes its place in your mind. And that is that you think about it and feed it and pretty soon it is rooted in your mind. And now you think you are an angry person and you are a jealous person. The fact is you are pure love and pure peace. And that's why you practice love and peace. So the thing that I would suggest, no matter what your relationship problem is, is that you bring stillness to it you surround it in light, which is, which is peace, which is stillness. That you think more quietly about it. That, that you let a hush settle over this memory, over this apparition. That you fill your heart with love instead. That you let it seep in to the quiet place that you've created. That you be glad and that you be happy, that you have no beliefs, and that you have no ego, that you have no relationship problems, that you be a healer, that you be a teacher. A teacher is a healer, is an unnoticed breeze. No one knows a teacher. A teacher is the presence of stillness and a blessing. A teacher is a forgiveness. Be the presence of Christ. Fill the room with peace. Fill the conversation with peace. Fill your mind with peace. And know the blessing of stillness.